Good morning. I hope all of you are doing well. So glad that you've taken time out of uh, your weekend to join us here today. I trust it will be profitable and enjoyable and uh, that you will be spiritually blessed by all that God is going to, I trust God is going to do for us today. Uh, if you have your Bible, I hope you do, turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Now, one little quick word of explanation about our time together. I, I saw in the uh, handout that was available at the, as you came in that there are four sessions, each of which has its own topic or focus. The fact of the matter is these are all going to kind of bleed into one another, so they're not going to be clear-cut, devoted exclusively to what is mentioned there. There's simply no way to keep from um, addressing a variety of issues in each of the messages that I'll be bringing. So just keep that in mind as we, as we process through this issue of the work of the Holy Spirit. I want to read beginning in verse 15 of John 14. John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We're asking that you would empower us today by the work of the Holy Spirit to see things, to know things, to to experience the reality of the Spirit's work in our lives in ways perhaps that we've never considered before. So Lord, we open your word and we ask that you would open our eyes as the psalmist prayed that we might behold wonderful things in it. So we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have to admit that uh, this being my first time in Paragool and my first exposure to your church, as much as I have probed Jared to find out where you are kind of on the spectrum of beliefs regarding the Holy Spirit, I have no idea where you all are coming from. And so let me just say right from the start, the individuals for whom this day is designed, and whether you fall on into any of these categories or not, uh, I trust that today will be beneficial to you. First of all, Today is designed for those of you who quite honestly have given very little thought to the person and work of the Holy Spirit. You may have just paid token acknowledgement to his existence and to the references to him in the scripture. It's designed for those of you who have rarely, if ever, consistently and faithfully and persistently cried out to the Holy Spirit for his gifts and for his power. It's for those of you who think, whether you've ever given much consideration to it, that you can actually live a successful Christian life without the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. This day is designed for those of you who think that perhaps the Spirit actually isn't mentioned that frequently in the Bible. Or maybe you're the sort of individual um, who, who can say, you know, I believe there's a Holy Spirit, I know He's God, but... I don't know what it means to have a relationship, a, 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 a daily walk of intimacy with the third person of the triune God. 
This message today, in fact, all four of them, are designed for those of you who may, through unrepentant sin, have grieved the Holy Spirit. As Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, we're looking today at ways in which the Spirit of God can enlighten you in ways perhaps that you've never known before to understand the glory of Christ and the things that are given to us in His Word. All of these messages today are also designed for those of you who think that what we're doing today is misguided. Because you've been told that the Spirit of God never draws attention to Himself. And therefore, not only are we misguided in what we're doing today, we're actually in sin. Some of you perhaps are a little bit concerned that to talk so much about the Holy Spirit will put us on a slippery slope into the errors of the Word of Faith movement or the prosperity gospel. Some of you perhaps are concerned No, in fact, let's change that word concern. You simply are afraid of the Holy Spirit. You're scared. Now, if you are, I want to assure you of one thing. That didn't come from anything you read in the Bible. If you're scared of the Holy Spirit, it comes from the reaction you have had to incidents you have seen in others or extreme fanaticism in certain sectors of the body of Christ. It doesn't come from anything that the Word of God says about the precious Holy Spirit. So I don't know if I've covered the spectrum of beliefs here. Maybe none of those apply to you and you are um, 100% bought in to anything and everything that the Spirit of God does or says. That's great. Now, to start us off, I want you to think about um, two metaphors in Scripture that describe our relationship to the Spirit of God. One comes from the lips of John the Baptist. Excuse me. The other from Jesus himself. In John 1.33, you know the, uh, the passage because it's found in the Synoptic Gospels as well, where John says, I baptize you in water, but one coming after me will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Now, I hope that all of you, once you came to faith in Jesus, have been baptized. And when you were, you know what it felt like to be immersed in water. You got drenched. Your clothes dripped. You were soaked. And you dripped wherever you went until you dried off. John is comparing our experience of the Holy Spirit to that. He said, Jesus is going to immerse you. He's going to dunk you. He's going to saturate your body, your soul, your spirit with the Holy Spirit. Not with water, but with the person and the presence of the Holy Spirit himself. The second metaphor is just as graphic. In Luke 24, just before Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father... He said to his disciples, Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power. So instead now of being immersed, or as it were, dunked in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, you are being dressed or adorned with the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, oftentimes you can identify a person by what they wear. So if you know anything about me, you see a person in a sweater vest, you say, that must be Sam Storms. And you're probably right. All of you, if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, are identified by virtue of the fact that you wear the Holy Spirit. In the same way that you got dressed this morning, put on shoes and socks and pants and a shirt and a blouse and a coat and a scarf or whatever it is that you have on, 24-7 you are adorned with and clothed in the person 
and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, those are great truths, but they create a little bit of a problem. Because it makes it sound as if the Holy Spirit is impersonal. I mean, when John compares him to water and Jesus compares him to clothing, it makes it difficult for us to understand and appreciate the personality of the Spirit. Uh, there was a, an incredible New Testament scholar. He died just about six months ago, a man by the name of Gordon Fee. And he one day had a student come to him after class and said, Dr. Fee, said, the Father I understand. The Son makes complete sense to me. But the Holy Spirit is a gray, oblong blur. And I suspect that for many of you, that's how you conceive of the Holy Spirit. He's really equivalent to the force of Star Wars. He's this energy that kind of permeates the universe and hovers around you, this amorphous cloud, as it were. And, and you have a hard time grasping how the Holy Spirit is a person. I mean, think of, for just a moment how you all walked into this auditorium this morning. You saw people that you know. You looked into their eyes. You noticed whether they were smiling or frowning. You heard them speak to you with your ears. You spoke to them. You might have shaken their hand or given them a hug. How do you hug a spirit? It's, it's easy to understand how we can have a personal relationship with the Father because we've all had earthly fathers. We know what a father is. Even though the father doesn't have a body, we can understand relating to him in a personal way. The son's no problem because Jesus obviously had a body. The disciples sat with him. They spent three years with him. They ate meals with him. They touched him. They laughed with him. How do you do that with the Spirit of God? That's the challenge. And then there are other things that contributed to this problem. All through the New Testament, we'll talk about some later. Talked about being filled with the Spirit. Well, think about what the imagery of filling. If I were to take this, this bottle of water and I take an empty container and I'm fill that container with water, again, the image is of, of a thing, almost a liquid. And then you have this reference to the Spirit being poured out. Or you have the multitude of, of instances, and we'll see many of these today later on, where the Spirit is described as the power of God. We don't typically think of power as personal. So again, the struggle we have is to relate to the Spirit as a person. And that's what I want us to do in this first session together today. Now, I need to address an objection. I mentioned it briefly a moment ago that many have to what we're doing. There are some who think that it is unbiblical to talk about the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit of God will never draw attention to Himself. One of my um, theological mentors, a man by the name of J.I. Packer, who went to be with the Lord a couple of years ago, said something, the only thing he ever wrote, I think, that I disagreed with. He called the Holy Spirit shy sovereign because he doesn't draw attention to himself. And I want to take issue with that. But let me tell you why people think that way. There's a passage in John chapter 16. We won't turn there. Just listen. Verses 13 through 15. In the upper room discourse, Jesus said this. When the Spirit of truth comes, He'll guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. He will declare to you the things that are to come. And in this phrase, He will glorify Me, referring to Jesus, 
For he will take what is mine, declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So people read that and they say, well, there it is. The purpose of the Spirit's coming is to glorify Jesus. And therefore, he will never do anything that might draw attention to himself. In other words, the Spirit's work is preeminently and exclusively Christ-centered. Now, make no mistake, that is what the Spirit of God does. He shines a light, a floodlight on the person of Jesus. He shows us his glory. He awakens in us the, the affections of love and joy and worship and, and praise. But you have to be careful of what is called the error of reductionism. And what I mean by that is this. It's taking maybe the primary purpose of the Spirit and reducing that to the sole or exclusive purpose of the Spirit. And that's a serious mistake. Now, I stepped down from leadership of Bridgeway Church last August. But while I was pastor there, if if a visitor had walked in and um, somebody said, well, I want you to meet our pastor, that's Sam Storms. And he's the pastor of this church. And the person said, well, my goodness, isn't he also a husband to his wife and a father to his children? And doesn't he have some hobbies? And doesn't he, you know, visit the sick and counsel people? Well, yes. In other words, it's the error of taking the primary purpose of an individual and reducing that to the sole or exclusive purpose. So don't ever think that simply because the Spirit has come primarily to shine a light on Jesus that He doesn't do anything else. The fact of the matter is, think about, I mean, this book that we all have in our hands, I hope you do anyway, hundreds of verses in it that talk about the Spirit. Guess where those verses came from? They came from the Spirit. He's the one who inspired them. Or or think about at the baptism of Jesus, the Spirit of God descends upon Him like a dove. That's a very visual affirmation of who the spirit is some of these texts we'll come back to some of them later on acts 13 1 and 2 church at antioch is gathered they're worshiping they're fasting and the spirit through apparently a prophetic voice interrupts the meeting and says set apart for me saul and barnabas for the purpose to which i've called them or take for example um, acts 15 the, this, the Jerusalem council, where they were gathered together to try to figure out what are we going to do with all these Gentiles who are coming into the kingdom? And the amazing thing is, in verse 28, it says that the apostles and elders sought the Spirit for their final decision, and they said our decision, it's interesting words, seemed good to the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit had a will. They sought out His counsel, and He spoke to them. Uh, We're going to talk this afternoon about spiritual gifts. And the definition for a spiritual gift is given to us in 1 Corinthians 12, 7. It's a manifestation of the Spirit. Every time you exercise a spiritual gift, whether it's setting up chairs, serving coffee, greeting people, being hospitable, encouraging someone, that's the Holy Spirit putting Himself on display. He's being manifested among you. Um, he operates in miraculous signs and wonders. We'll talk about that later this afternoon. So again, Spirit of God is very much a person, as we're going to see in more detail in just a moment. Now, some people have made the mistake of trying to discern something about the nature of the Holy Spirit from the gender of the words that refer to Him in the Bible. Don't do that. In the Old Testament, the typical word for spirit is the Hebrew word ruach. Well, Ruach is feminine. Ah, so God is a female now. No, 
In the New Testament, the Greek word pneuma, we get our word pneumonia from it. That's the word for spirit. It's neuter. And if you have a real problem, just remember that the Greek word for child is also neuter. The gender of a noun says nothing about the nature of the person to whom it is referring. Now, one of the reasons why we have a problem with this is because you all have probably seen it. I have on many occasions. It's very offensive. Some individual in some flamboyant ministry treats the Spirit of God as if if he were um, easy to be manipulated, almost like a mechanical energy. I mean, I actually heard someone say one time, stick your finger of faith into the socket of His divine presence and you'll get a, a shock of divine proportions. I mean, that kind of language reduces the Spirit to this impersonal energy, and we need to avoid that at all costs. It's interesting, um, I don't know if it's happened here. If it has, don't worry about it, it's no big deal. But at Bridgeway, we have a lot of people who now have dropped the definite article, the, and they only refer to Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit did this, or Holy Spirit does that. And the reason they did that is because they felt like the definite article impersonalized him, as if, it, as if he were a thing. Now, the interesting thing about it is, it's perfectly okay to refer to the Holy Spirit as simply Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, the majority of references have the definite article. Many times, however, it doesn't. The presence or the absence of the definite article doesn't say anything about whether the Holy Spirit is a person or or a mere impersonal power. So if you want to refer to Him without the definite article, that's perfectly okay. If you want to use the definite article, don't let anybody tell you that you're depersonalizing the Spirit. That just simply isn't true. Now, why do we know that the Spirit is a person? Well, for one thing, He has all the attributes of a person. If I asked any of you here today, what constitutes a person? You'd say, well, they got to have a mind. They have to be able to think and reason and deliberate. Well, you remember Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2? He's described as the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. Right here in John 14, 26, the Spirit is described as teaching us. Uh, an impersonal power can't teach. Romans 8, 27, he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So the Spirit of God has a mind. You don't have to have a physical brain in order to think. The Holy Spirit is the classic example of that. Well, the Father as well. But He also has feelings and affections. Romans 8, 26. We're told that when the Spirit intercedes for us, when we don't know what to pray for, He groans. I don't know anything that can groan other than a person. Or Romans 15, verse 30. Incredible passage. Paul, at the end of Romans, is asking the church in Rome to pray for him for the success of his ministry. And he says, I appeal to you by the love, excuse me, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit feels love. He has affections. Ephesians 4.30, I mentioned this verse in passing just a moment ago. Unrepentant sin grieves the Holy Spirit, causes distress to the Holy Spirit. I already mentioned Acts 15.28 the decision of the elders and the apostles seemed good to the Holy Spirit. So he has a mind, he has feelings and affections, he has a will. For example, Acts 16, 7, 
The Spirit of Jesus did not allow Paul and his companions to enter into Bithynia, but instead led them into Macedonia. So the Spirit said, no, I don't want you to go into Bithynia. 1 Corinthians 12, 11, Paul says that whatever spiritual gifts you have, they are distributed according to the will of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, 17, remember that passage talks about the desires of the flesh waging wars against the desires of the Holy Spirit? So the Spirit of God thinks, He reasons, He deliberates, He feels, He has affections and emotions and passions, and He has a will. But not only that, He performs all the actions of a personal being. I mean, I wish we had time to look at all these. They're just everywhere. He talks. You remember the, um, the seven letters in Revelation chapters 2 and 3? You remember how each one of them ends? Listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. He testifies. Matthew 12 says he can be sinned against. Do you ever think about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? You can't blaspheme a pole or a chair or a floor. You can only blaspheme God, a spirit, a person. Or Acts chapter 5, he can be lied to. The story of uh, Ananias and Sapphira is incredible. Uh, I'll come back to that one, in fact, in just a moment. He can be tested or tempted. Hebrews 10 says you can insult the Holy Spirit. All of you have been the object or the victim of an insult at some time in your life. If you haven't, just wait, it'll happen. How do you insult an idea or a principle? You insult a person. 2 Corinthians 13, 14 talks about the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. He encourages, he strengthens, he teaches. Right here in, in John 14, 16, the passage we read, Jesus calls him another helper. Now, depending on the translation, it might be another comforter, another counselor. But Jesus is saying, the Father's going to send someone to you who does precisely what I do. In my physical absence, you will have the Spirit to encourage and counsel you. My first, let me just kind of break off here just to give you kind of an illustration. The first, that wasn't really the first time, but one of the, one of the early times that I sensed the ministry of the Spirit as a person took place in um, 1993, a long time ago. Uh, I was at a conference in Houston, Texas. At that time, I had been pastoring in Ardmore, Oklahoma for about eight years. And we were settled. I wasn't going anywhere. I loved the church. They loved us. We were going to spend the rest of our days there. And at this conference, about 1,500 people in the auditorium, a man who had a very powerful prophetic gift stood up and he pointed at me. I was sitting way at the back. He pointed at me. He said, young man, I appreciated that young part of the man. Stand up. I'm not young anymore, but then I was. Stand up. So I stood up and he said, the Lord has impressed upon me as I looked at you. Um, something from Isaiah chapter 58. So he starts reading through Isaiah 58. And he's kind of making application to me from that particular passage. And he comes to verse 11 of Isaiah 58. And he says, this is God's personal promise to you. And then he starts saying things that made no sense. He said, you need to start packing up the U-Haul because God's moving you on. And you're probably wondering right now, Who's going to take care of me? Who's going to guide me? Who's going to provide for me and my family? And the Lord wants you to know that Isaiah 58, 11 is his promise to you, where it says he will make your life like a well-watered garden. And then he kind of closed that parenthesis, went back and finished his, his word. 
I sat down, and afterwards, my good friend Jack Beer, who was at the conference, came to me. He said, that probably didn't make any sense at all to you, did it? I said, nope, it certainly didn't. I'm not going anywhere. And then Jack said something just offhandedly. He said, eh, in about, get, so get the videotape, which I actually have. You remember VHS tapes? Yeah, stuff. Don't have anything to play it, but I've got it. He said, in about five months, it'll make sense to you. Oh, okay. Well, I went back home, and within a week, I received an invitation to leave Ardmore and move to Kansas City and join the staff of a large church there. And it became very evident that that was precisely what God was wanting us to do. Now, you must understand that in the next five months, I had completely forgotten about this prophetic word, just deleted it from my mind. It's August 18th. 1993 the moving van had come that morning packed up all our stuff we're about to leave town i went to my sister's home because she lived in the city um and we wept in each other's arms and i'm thinking i've made the biggest mistake of the world i have just ruined my life my ministry my family i can't believe i'm leaving ardmore we pull out onto i-35 interstate 35 heading north up to kansas city and I'm in the car with my older daughter, Melanie, Anne and our younger daughter, Joey, are in the minivan behind us. And folks, I had, uh, I had a nervous breakdown. I just wept. I, I started hyperventilating. I'm crying. I'm thinking, I have made the biggest mistake of my life. Well, my precious little 14-year-old daughter is about to freak out because her dad's freaking out. So she busies herself by opening up this present that her school teacher had given her as a going away gift she pulls it out and it's one of those ladies you'll know what it is those little verse a day calendars you put on your kitchen counter and there's a verse for each day tried to figure out one time what the statistical odds of this are you know 365 days in a year what about 30,000 verses in the bible so i just said honey i said this is the biggest day of our lives what's the verse for august 18th she pulled it out it's in scotch tape now because it's been pulled out so many times she said dad it's all it's isaiah 58 11 the lord will always lead you he will give you good things and keep you healthy you will be like a well-watered garden i almost lost my mind because that was the first time i suddenly remembered the word that i had been given and i, I pulled off on the side of the road jumped out of the car, started running down the shoulder of the highway, waving at my wife who's coming behind me. And she's thinking, oh, thank you, Lord, he's changed his mind. We're staying in Ardmore. <laughs> and I said, no, you'll never believe what. The... Do you know, it was five months to the day. The Spirit of God so very personally loves us and guides us and provides for us. What a, a beautiful illustration of that. Now, let me move on. The Holy Spirit is not just a person. He's also God. He's a divine person, equal with the Father and the Son in the one nature of the divine Godhead. Let me just give you some examples. Remember Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira? Terrifying story. When they said, we're going to give this much money from the proceeds of the sale of property, and they lied and held some of it back. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? You have not lied to men but to God. Don't ever think that the Spirit is somehow subordinate to the Son and the Father, as if He's kind of a, you know, a, a second-teamer, or third-teamer in this case, equal with the Father and the Son. Many times, 
passages that in the Old Testament where it says Yahweh, God of Israel, said this or did this, when the New Testament cites those texts, it says the Spirit said or did this. Or um, we are the temple of God, we're told multiple times in Ephesians chapter 2 and 1 Corinthians 3 and 1 Corinthians 6. We're the temple of God because what? The Spirit of God dwells within us. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is the only unforgivable sin. The actions of God, omniscience, omnipotence, Psalm 139, where can I go from your presence? Where can I flee from your spirit? Omnipotence, eternality, holiness. And then, of course, the Spirit is linked very directly with the Father and the Son. I want you to listen to this verse. When you have time later, go and read it for yourself. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Do you hear how the Spirit is described there? He's described simply as the Spirit. He's also described as the Spirit of God, reference to the Father. And then as the Spirit of Christ, a reference to the Son. So he sustains this intimate relationship in the persons of the Godhead with the Father and the Son. Now, real quickly, the Spirit is not just a person, he's a divine person, but he's a divine person with a purpose. And I want to kind of wrap up this first session by mentioning to you the multiple purposes of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to reduce it down to six, and they all start with the letter P. I'm a graduate of Dallas Seminary. We learned how to alliterate, and that's just how you do it. So just you got to deal with it, all right? First of all, the Spirit dwells or lives in you to provide power. And we're going to look at numerous texts that describe this uh, this afternoon, maybe even in the next session. I mean, everything, not just for performing miracles, but for hope. Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. You want to have hope and not be discouraged and distressed? It's only going to come through the power of the Holy Spirit. Power for prayer, for praise, for preaching. Secondly, it's the word practice. And we'll talk about this in the session after lunch today. What I have in mind here is the work of the Spirit through spiritual gifts. Let me just give you a, a couple of quick examples. If you've read any of my books, you may know these. A couple of years ago, and it's not just a long time ago, we're having this happen regularly. A couple of years ago, though, one of our founding elders, his name is Tom, he's a dentist, he's now retired, came to me during the first service. He said, Sam, I have a very strong impression from the Lord this morning. And I've learned to trust Tom. He said, I believe there's a woman here who is struggling severely uh, with some sort of affliction that causes such pain that, that she has a hard time even walking. And she has a six-year-old son who's suffering from asthma. And she recently visited her doctor about 10 days ago. And the, the initials SJ are relevant. I was going, what? So I said, all right, share it. So Tom got up and he said all that. Lady here today, you have an incredibly painful affliction. You were at your doctor 10 days ago. He gave you a very bad prognosis, but I think the Lord may heal you today, and the initials SJ are, are relevant, and you have a six-year-old son with asthma. Suddenly, this lady gets up and starts making her way to the front. Her first name was Alicia. She hadn't been to, the, to church in six months because of the debilitating pain, and she had never once come to the first service, always the second service. And she woke up, we found out later, she woke up that morning and told her husband, 
we're going to the first service today. He said, but you've never been able to even move until the second. Why? She said, I don't know. I'm supposed to be at the first service. If she had come to the second service, she would have missed the word. She comes up. She said, she described the nature of her affliction. I can't even remember what it was. She said, 10 days ago, I was at my doctor, just like you said. He gave a bad prognosis. My six-year-old son has asthma. My husband just went to get him out of the children's ministry. And she said, I didn't know what SJ meant. She said, but when you were speaking, I pulled out my medication and the initials of my doctor are SJ. We prayed for her and her son. They were both fully and completely healed to this very day. I've got to tell you one more story. I've got to watch my time here. By the way, it's very dangerous to let a preacher preach without a clock. Uh, so I'm going to have to look at my own for a minute. How do you do that? People out here are saying, boy, I wish we'd put one up. He goes, <laughs> There's a lady in our church. Her name is Krista. She uh, leads our connections ministry. She's been there for, gosh, about 15 years now. She's about, she doesn't like me saying this, but I think she's a little short of five feet tall. She said, no, I'm five feet one. I, I don't believe it. But she had never experienced anything of a profoundly supernatural nature. And we had a team of individuals who went to Kenya every year to work at an orphanage there. And one year, Krista went with them. And they were finally there, and they were having their first meeting. It was on a Sunday night. And they were all gathered together with the team of the, or at the orphanage, with all the people from Bridgeway. And they're praying. And Krista said, I don't know how to describe this. She said, but my eyes were closed. And she said, I heard in my head, not audibly like you're hearing me now, but internally, I heard the name Lydia Otieno. And she said, I, I just kind of, I thought, did I just speak to myself? I, she said, God, is that you? If it is, say it again. Lydia Otieno. She heard this voice in her head. She said, Lord, I don't know how to spell that last name. Just telling you folks, you believe it, if you, don't believe it, you don't want to. She said, I had my eyes closed. It was like there was a a whiteboard in front of me, and suddenly the words Lydia, O-T-I-E-N-O, appeared. I could see them. So when the prayer time ended, she said to the people at the orphanage, do any of you all know somebody named Lydia O-T-N-O? They said, no. She said, would you check your database? They opened their laptops, checked that nobody by that name had ever come through that ministry. <laughs> she said, all right, maybe I just made it all up. She went through the whole week, started doubting every day more and more. I, that, was, that must have been a demon, or it was just me. I, I, I'm suffering from jet lag, whatever. On the final day, the following Sunday morning, she walks in, and another lady from our church named Alicia Shannon, who was also on the trip, sees Krista and said, Krista, come here, come here. She comes up, standing next to, to Alicia is this about 5'10", five, 5'11", five tall African teenage girl, and Lisa said, Krista, I'd like you to meet Lydia Otieno. Krista lost it. I mean, she's just weeping. And so she embraces. We got a picture. She came back. We've got a picture we showed everybody. Five-foot Krista, six-foot Lydia Otieno, white and black. Boy, talk about a contrast. It's beautiful. I love the body of Christ. Um, and then they start talking, and Krista starts wondering, why in the world would God have brought this five-foot-tall, short, white lady to Kenya and given her the name of this person she said Lydia is there is there something I can pray for you about are you are you sick you need healing are you struggling in life she said, no I'm doing pretty well 
So they sat there and they prayed about it. And then Krista said, you know, I think I know why God did this. Lydia, I think he sent me halfway around the world and revealed your name to me just so that you would know without a doubt that God knows who you are. She said, Lydia, just tears just began streaming down her face. I mean, a profoundly supernatural moment for a very simple reality that absolutely transformed this young girl's life. Let me move on real quickly and let me wrap this up. The uh, third P, purity. Obviously, the Spirit of God is there to enable us to live a sexually pure life and to live out in the power of the fruit of the Spirit. Fourth, I call it presentation. He presents to us the truth of God's Word. To whatever extent, by the way, that any of the texts that we're looking at make sense to you today, that's not because you're an especially smart person. It's not the Spirit of God is revealing that to us. The fifth P is presence. He makes known to us and mediates the presence of Jesus. That's why Jesus said, remember when he said, I'm going away, but I will come back to you? I don't think he was talking about the resurrection. I don't think he was talking about the second coming at the end of history. I think he's saying when the Spirit comes, I'm coming. And then sixth and finally, prevention. He restrains the impulses of our heart um, and keeps us from walking in unrepentant and persistent and chronic sin. Now, there's so many other things I'd like to say. Let me just mention one, and then we'll close with this. Jesus said in that passage that we read a moment ago, the, the Spirit of truth who comes to you, He will remain forever. Forever. He will never leave you. And I have people sometimes push back, and they say, but what about David in Psalm 51? I mean, David, the man after God's own heart said, he said, Lord, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Was David contemplating the possibility that the Spirit of God could be removed from him and he loses salvation or whatever? No. It's important to remember that during the time of the Old Testament, there was a ministry of the Spirit unrelated to the issues of salvation that was solely intended to empower people to fulfill a particular task. So, for example, craftsmen who worked on the tabernacle, civil administrators, military commanders, judges, Samson in particular, prophets, kings, the Spirit of God would come upon them to empower them and equip them to fulfill whatever task God had given. It wasn't a permanent empowering. Once the task was completed, the Spirit would lift. You remember what happened to Saul? Remember it said the Spirit of God left Saul? I think David is talking about that. He's saying, Lord, don't let my sin with Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite, her husband, provoke you and stir you to lift the anointing of your spirit that has empowered me to serve faithfully as king. It has nothing to do with the issue of his salvation. So, the point of it all is this. The Spirit of God has come in power, and we'll look more closely at what happened on the day of Pentecost subsequently, to abide not with us, but in us. He doesn't walk alongside as a companion like you and I might walk alongside one another. He lives in us to accomplish all of these incredibly glorious and wonderful things. Now, real quickly, I've got one minute. People say, all right, Sam. I'm tracking with you, but I don't know what it means to have a personal relationship with the Spirit. I have a personal relationship with Jesus. I think I have a personal relationship with the Father. 
How do I have a personal relationship with the Spirit? Very quickly. Friends know each other's business. I couldn't possibly say that, that I'm a friend of Jared if I didn't know that he was a pastor of a church and understood something of what he did and the same of him knowing of me. Do you know what the Holy Spirit does? Are you acquainted with his activity? Well, we'll look at a lot of it later today. Friends talk to each other. Do you pray to the Spirit? Now, I know some people say, you mean we can do that? Granted, the standard procedure for prayer in the New Testament is to the Father through the Son in the power of the Spirit. But folks, the Spirit is God. Anytime you pray to God, you're praying to the Spirit. Do you pray for the Spirit? Remember Jesus in Luke chapter 11. He said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask for Him? Friends, spend time with each other. How much time do you devote in the course of a day to just meditating on the, the person of the Spirit and speaking out your prayerful request? Friends, love each other. I love it that in our songs we sing to Jesus and the Father, but how many times do we sing to the Spirit that we love Him, we adore Him? Friends, share a common mission. Well, you can only do that if you know what the mission of the Spirit is, which we'll look at later. Friends, labor to do what pleases the other and avoid those things that grieves and bring distress to the other. You know what it is that grieves the Holy Spirit. And friends, talk about each other so that others may get to know Him. So let me just encourage you. I, I thought that was a quick overview of that particular subject. Just encourage you to take time and sit quietly and just cry out, said, Spirit of God, I know you're there. I know you're here. I know what you do, but I don't know you. But Jesus said in that passage, said, you know him. You can know intimately the Spirit of God, even as he knows you. And my prayer is that through these sessions together, that reality will come more and more to fruition in your life. So, Father, we thank you for the way in which you have provided the Holy Spirit to us. You have equipped us. You have empowered us. Spirit of God, we love you. We want to know you more. We want to feel your presence. We want to enjoy all that you are for us by virtue of the grace of our great triune God. So draw near to us, I pray, this morning. Spirit of God, I know there are unique and special needs represented here, and I pray you would minister in power to each of them as we cry out to you for deliverance and healing and mercy and guidance and enlightenment. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.